0: We think of the Christian life as a changed life, but it is not that. Um, Thank you. Uh, What God offers us is an exchanged life. This is a quote that I'm reading from Watchman Nee. We think that the Christian life is a changed life, but it is not that. What God offers us is an exchanged life a substituted life and Christ is our substitution within. So think of that with me for a moment. When we talk about change and when we talk about um, the desire for things to be different sometimes people get a little um, disappointed or they get discouraged and they think that things are never going to change. Have you been in that place before? Have you been in a place where you feel that I'm in a rut, and this is never going to change. And let alone not let alone my personal life, but also my um, my uh, inner life with God and my um, work life and my relationships. And so we think sometimes the concept that we have is that. Um, that we have to, for God to work or for us to see God's hand in our life, we have to see change. Or we have to change something about ourselves or change something about our relationships or change something about our circumstance. And we can close that door. Um, thanks. But we think of the Christian life as a changed life, but really it's not that. It's, it, is, it is more of an exchanged life. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, I just want to talk about this month, the month of October, just what real change looks like. What does real change look like? First Peter chapter 1, and let's read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think of this. I heard a story this week about a bank robber who went into a bank on the East Coast at Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. And he went in there. He was driving a black um, BMW, shaded windows, and left the car there right where he was to come out the back and robbed the bank, came flying out of the bank with all of the money, jumped in his car, but his car would not start. This was his hope to get out of the circumstance to get away, but the car would not start. The police catch up to him, surround his car, surround him as he has jumper cables in his hands asking someone next to him if he could get a jump. He did not have a living hope at that moment. His hope was a dead hope. Our hope is different because our hope is living. Our hope actually went through death, uh, went through burial, and rose on the third day. And this living hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the resurrection story of Jesus Christ, the resurrection message, was a message that was the primary message of the first 100 years of the church. Think of that. What message was the primary message that we can hear the church uh, proclaim the first 100 years? And that was not Christmas Day. It was not Jesus being born in a manger, it was not uh, anything other than Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. This was what people were proclaiming. This was the main message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, it says here in verse 4, imperishable, uh, undefiled, and unfading. You know, you look at your life, we look at our lives and we look at other people's lives, and it's a lot like a Monopoly game, isn't it? Monopoly, how many of you have played Monopoly? This is a game where you jump in a car, well, you pull out dice, you open up the board, uh, you jump in this little car, and you're going around the board several times, and you're collecting money, you're spending money, you're buying property, you're paying the tax man, and you hope to get around the whole thing without winding up in jail. This is the way life looks for a lot of people, but in the end, sooner or later... The game is over, all the pieces have to be put away, and everything goes in the box, and the box gets put away. That is what happens to every one of us if the rapture does not happen. We wind up in a box, our life ends, and everything that we've gained and earned goes into a box. There is something more in our life than, than just the Monopoly game. Peter uses this word living very often in this book in 1 Peter. Why does Peter use this living hope? Why does he talk about the word living? And it's because, I think it's because Peter, when he denied Christ three times, was so devastated by his action, by his failure, by his disappointment in himself, disappointment from his commitment that he had made his devotion to Jesus Christ, I will go to jail and even die for you. And then Jesus says, uh, you think you know your heart but you're going to deny me three times and so Peter here when Jesus rose from the dead um, Jesus says to his disciples and go tell Peter remember go tell Peter this living hope and this living hope this lively Christ is a is a statement that our hope is not just a blind hope but it's alive the guy who ran out of the bank with the money in his hand hoping to jump in a car and drive away had no hope his hope was dead hope but our hope is alive hope is more than just you know I hope my situation gets better hope is more than I hope I go to heaven when I die if you talk to a typical Catholic especially overseas when you ask them uh, do you know if you have eternal life or not most of the time they're going to say I hope so I hope so but this is a hope that's more than uh, the random toss of the dice. That's why I don't like board games, and I don't like games with dice. That's just me, because I don't feel like I'm in control of the game. Does that sound like a control freak to you? It sounds like that to me. <laughs> so I don't like playing games with dice, or, nor card games, because you just don't know what you're going to get from the hand. I like, the, I like a game like chess, or like I like it's predictable things. Anyway... Our lively hope is lively because it was crucified, it was killed, it was unthanked, it was it was um, rejected by the whole world, it was just disregarded, it was mocked, it was laughed at, yet he rose on the third day. This is our hope. And because Jesus is alive today, as we sang in that song this morning, we can have this peace and we can have this joy that as long as Jesus is alive, I'm forgiven. As long as I'm, as long as Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, I'm forgiven, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to be saved. Remember with Joseph and his brothers, when Joseph's father, Jacob, died, remember that? The brothers come back to him at the end of the book of Genesis and say, they're actually the brothers are talking to, Joseph's brothers are talking to each other, and they're saying, now that dad is gone, will Joseph now punish us? Because were we, uh, were, were we receiving mercy from from Joseph because dad was alive. And they come and they discover that Joseph had a god bigger than his dad, bigger than somebody else. And because of because of God and the forgiveness of God, Joseph was able to forgive his his brothers. According to his great mercy in the verse that we read that, do you know the the great mercy when you look at that in the original language, it's not just one great act of God's mercy. It is actually in the Greek, many, it's the Greek word is poly, which is many, many um, um, uh, displays or manifestations of the mercy of God that led us to a point where we were were saved. Think of all the times in your life where mercy took over, where things could have gone south. Remember, mercy is, is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is what God gives us that we could never ever deserve. Something that we could never ever qualify for. Mercy means that we're not getting what we deserve. That the, our, our sins in Psalm 32 are not being imputed to us. And that is the great mercy of God. To an inheritance imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I heard this, I read this story this, this past week and I just thought it was, so, it was so cute. So cool actually. There was a Russian, a Russian foreign student that was studying in Germany and his name was Sergei Sudayev, and he was in this, about 2080, he was in this university, he was a very poor foreign student, Uh, he was living off $270 a month just in in college in Germany. One day there was a knock on his door, and he opened the door, and there was a well-dressed man with a suit and tie and a briefcase, and he said, may I come in? And he said, sure, are you Sergei? Yes, I'm Sergei. He came in and he said, I have some bad news. I regret regret to tell you that your uncle has died. And Sergei was a bit surprised and he didn't really know his uncle. He only met his uncle one time at a family reunion. And so the man opens the briefcase and he says, but your uncle has decided to give his entire wealth to you, his nephew, which is about $970 million dollars. And so Sergei, in one day, becomes a, becomes a billionaire. Two things that we know about this story, two things that this story told me. Number one, be nice to your uncle at a reunion. And number two, an inheritance can change your life. We have received an inheritance that is, it says here, that is, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You know, undefiled means this, is that sin can't destroy it. Isn't that beautiful? There's a lot of awesome things that we have in this life. And then they, and just because we live in a fallen world, it can get just defiled. It can get gross. It can just be like, oh, this is so disappointing. This car was so great, but now it won't start. This BMW is so nice, but it just won't start up. This is what can happen. But this inheritance is in heaven. It's in the heavenlies, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, how does this relate to change in our life? How does this, how does this change our Monday morning? How does this change the rest of our week? Our hope is not in something that, is, that may or may not happen. We have an inheritance in the heavenlies. And when we, look at, when we think about hope, we're thinking about hope for change, uh, hope for God to answer this prayer. Hope is like anything else in the Bible, theologically, that cannot be divorced from the person of Christ. If we look at hope and we don't marry it with the person of Jesus Christ, then hope is going to be just, uh, I hope that the dice fall into my favor. Amen. It's more of a fatalistic type of religion. And that is not Christianity. That is another type of ideology in the world. And so, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I love these words. Kept in heaven for you. You know, there's an inheritance being kept for you, it's being kept, it's being guarded. It's being it's being reserved. I think in the King James, and if somebody has the King James, they can confirm it. But in the King James, I think it says uh, heaven. There's an inheritance in heaven reserved for you. How many of you have ever been to on a Friday night, gone to a, a great restaurant with your wife or family or friends, and you get there and there's a mob outside, and you ask. What's the wait time? Two and a half hours. How many of you have ever been in that kind of a situation? And then someone in your group says, but I made a reservation. Isn't that person our favorite person at that moment? (laughs) You made a reservation. We're in there. There's a table reserved for us. And there's this huge crowd of hungry people. That is a dangerous situation. Large groups of people that are hungry. Anything could happen. And so with your group, you're like squeezing. You're pressing through this this, uh, multitude of people that are inside waiting and then you get and then in the back of the restaurant there's this quiet table that says reserved is that a great feeling when you look at that and you say that's my table (laughs) and you look at that table and you think this is my place the same thing is in heaven is that there is a reservation in heaven for us that is a reserved place but you know what's even more beautiful who by god's power are being guarded through faith there's an inheritance being guarded and the heirs are being guarded as well. There's an inheritance in heaven for you that's being guarded, but you yourself as the heir are being guarded. Isn't that beautiful? What does that mean by the power of God, the dunamis of God? What does that mean there? Well, it means this. We know in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 that when you got saved, when you got saved, God put a deposit in you, Called the Holy Spirit, he put a down payment or he put an engagement ring on you. Yeah. I remember when my wife and I, when we got engaged, and my wife's with Caleb right now. I can talk, talk, talk about her. Good things. When she, when I gave her that wedding, that that engagement ring, she went to college in Baltimore, and I moved to Ukraine to um, to do a church plant. We went in two different directions. We had just gotten engaged. I don't know if that's advisable. <laughs> But that's what we did. That was the will of God for us. And so I went to Ukraine. And so she went to a semester of Bible college in Baltimore with this engagement ring. And there were people, because I had not lived in Baltimore for quite a while at that point. I was overseas. And there were people that would see her, see her as a college student, and see the engagement ring. And they would ask her, who's the lucky guy, right? Who's the lucky guy? And that's so interesting because when I got back in May and we got married in June, also not so advisable, but we, that's what we did. <laughs> One month to prepare for your wedding. That's a real fun. I mean, some of you have done that, I think. Um, and I, I would meet her friends. and I would meet her family that had lived in the States. And they say, oh, you're the lucky guy. We heard so much about you. Isn't that The power of God. And isn't that what the witness of Christ in our life is, is that we are wearing an engagement ring, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And people in the world, people around us, the atmosphere, the invisible world looks at that engagement ring of the Holy Spirit on you and says, who is the lucky guy who gets to marry you? That is what's happening in our life today, whether you see it or not. You may not feel so lucky, and I don't like to use that word lucky. You may not feel so fortunate or so much in the favor of God, but you and I are wearing something which is a down payment, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. He is not a, he is not a booking.com Holy Spirit that moves in and moves out. He is a Holy Spirit that moves in and stays in. He is there present with you, and He is the he is the power of God that keeps us. We are being kept by God for our inheritance. Are you following me? Yeah. That's is beautiful, isn't it? Because, like, because sometimes you might hear a message in some churches in America, you've got to keep yourself pure for, to, as the bride of Christ to present yourself pure before God. There's only one person that can do that, and that's Jesus Christ. He has done that through the cross, and that's the Holy Spirit in us. When you got saved... Were you like me, did you try to go back into the way you lived before you got saved? And when you did, you felt like there's a presence in your life that is just kind of hindering you from just going all out back into the the mess that you came from. I experienced that in high school. I remember times when I was just like, you know, I just want to go back just, just for a little bit and just have some fun what I used to do. And I remember trying to do that one time, and I remember, and I've told a story here, I remember the sense of like a hindering... A hindering presence, which is the Holy Spirit that was hindering me from going all into what I was in before. Because I now, there was a down payment in me and I now belong to someone else. I was bought with a price and now I am God's treasure. We have an engagement ring on us. We are an heir and there's an inheritance waiting for us. And we were kept by the power of God. This is where real change begins in a Christian's life is that I am being kept not by my own endeavor, not by my own energy for my own sanctification. I am being kept by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I am being kept by the power of God. And isn't that beautiful? And what does it say here next? It says, through faith. What does that mean, through faith? Through faith. I like what Andrew Murray said. I'm going to read this to you. At the bottom of all faith, there is a feeling of helplessness. So faith always means helplessness. In most cases, in most cases, it's utter helplessness. Another must do it for me, and that is the secret of the spiritual life. What is he saying? I love this view of faith being a being a sense of helplessness. It's like when you and I come to a place in our life, and we realize, like what Nicholas said earlier, that there's nothing that I can do to change my circumstances. I have tried, and I've hit rock bottom. We've talked about, you've heard people talk about drug addicts or people that are addicted to things that can't seem to break away from it until they've hit rock bottom. Well, we can talk about sin or addictions or things like that, but how about let's talk about the incessant desire of the flesh to continually improve our circumstances so that we can feel better about ourselves morally, or try to achieve a certain level, or try to get to a certain place, or... Keep trying until I, until I finally get myself sanctified. Until we hit rock bottom, and that may take 10 to 15 years, before you hit rock bottom, you realize, God, I can do nothing to save myself, to deliver myself. I could not save myself, therefore I cannot sanctify myself, therefore I cannot do anything but helplessly look to you. Is that biblical sanctification? Is that biblical Christianity? I believe it is. Because when we see so many examples of this in the Old Testament, to remember in Numbers where the children of Israel, they were being bitten by snakes, right? Little kids were being bitten by snakes. The entire family was starting to die off because of snake bites. They cry out to Moses. They say, Moses, we are dying. Do something. What does Moses do? Moses goes to God. Moses pleads with God. God, what do we do? And God says, take a brazen serpent which means judgment on the thing that's killing, and put it on a pole and have the entire nation walk by and look at that pole. And as they do, they will be healed. That's so interesting because it would be so easy for us, especially with having kids, your kids in pain, the last thing you want to do is leave your kid, neglect your kid, and look at something else. You want to tend to your kid. But Moses is saying, look away from yourself, look away from your family, look away from the pain and the suffering and look at the brazen serpent, which as in John chapter 3 is a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And so Jesus, God is saying to Moses, and then Jesus says in John 3, look at the cross as it was lifted up, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and you will be healed. This is what happens. This is, this is what faith is talking about, that we are kept by the power of God through faith. Meaning it's not me trying to, okay, I'm going to faith it up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just psych myself up, and then I'm going to have the power to get through this temptation. That is not what this is saying. This is saying that you're going to be kept by the power of God to the measure you understand that you, are, you, are, you and I are so dependent on God that if God does not breathe, if God does not speak, this, uh, the business doesn't go anywhere, the family doesn't go anywhere, the church doesn't go anywhere, nothing goes anywhere, unless God breathes on it. This morning I was just getting ready, and I was like, "God, just breathe on what we're doing here. Just breathe on this, because this cannot be a work of man. This cannot be a work of the flesh. It has to be the breath of God on this. And if there's no breath of God, then, then if there's no healing, then there. I mean, if there's no anointing, then there is no people walk away from the from the service in the same change they came in with. Yeah. Isaiah chapter ten says this. It says that the anointing breaks the yoke. Yeah. If there's no anointing. If there's no brokenness and there's no anointing, then there's no release. Yeah. There's no being set free. It's not a moral code that sets people free. It's not, a, it's not a Christian culture. It's not a Christian vocabulary. It's not anything else, but it is the presence of Jesus Christ amongst broken, surrendered yeah. people. And that is the only way God can move in our lives. This is a different message than you're going to hear in Get It Done Christianity or Super Achievement Christianity or Superman Christianity. It's not a popular message because some people would rather get the message like they'd rather get a book. You ever hear the book called The Secret? It's got that little weird. It's got a weird cover. And you look at it. It's like a little like, wow, that looks weird to me. And it's about the law of attraction. And there are universal laws of attraction, but without brokenness, without total surrender and saying, God, and the only, and I'm not about positions and you got to pray in a certain position or worship in a certain position. But there, when I was thinking about this, when I was meditating about this, this week, I had this weird eye. My eye was like bloodshot. It looked like I was first stage of getting the zombie virus or something. And then And then yesterday, I was so sick, I couldn't even get out of my bed. I thought, this is such an interesting week. And I was thinking about this topic of just God breaking us. Jeff called me up and says, what sin is in your life? (laughs) I was like, thanks, Jeff, for the encouragement, (laughs) for the vote of confidence. And then the Marcus texted me this morning and says, I'm anointed, so okay, I'm good. (laughs) Who are kept through the power of God through faith. It means that God, the position I'm thinking of is this is a guy sitting down with his head down and his hands open up like that just like to receive rain. Again, I'm not about position. I'm not praying in position. There's no spiritual position. But that's just the picture I have in my mind when a person is in their life and they are and they cannot produce anything, they cannot change their life. People are desperate for change. The flesh, the old flesh, the old way of thinking, the old psychology that's left over from us, from the dead man that was crucified two thousand years ago, called Adam, wants to change itself. Yes, there's a moral part of us that's not spiritual, but it's moral and wants to change itself because it's because it's just not happy with its circumstances. It wants to be a good show. I want to finish up with this: is that who are who are by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. At the, at the last time. When we present ourselves to God without the goal, God, I want to change. I want this to, this has got to change in my life. That circumstance has got to change. I thought it was such an interesting point that our mountaintop experiences are just a small point. Yeah. It's just a short time in heaven on the mountaintop. Never, never thought of that. And most of our life is either we're descending into a valley or we're descending out of a valley. And that's why that's why Jesus has to be enough for us. And it's okay when we are in a place where we are saying, God, I am not very powerful, but your power in me is very great. Revealed to be ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice. And I want to finish with this in this you rejoice. This is our joy. This is our joy when the car does not start when we don't have $10 behind the the pillowcase, when we don't have what we need, when everything is going wrong, this you rejoice. And remember who Peter is writing to. Peter is writing to very persecuted Christians who are scattered abroad. Now now the geography is called Turkey, being persecuted. And he's saying to this, this you rejoice now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There are going to be times... Many times where you and I are going through things and it feels very grieving and it feels like it's just not the way it should be and you think things should be different. Why isn't it not like the other? And we begin to compare ourselves with other things. All suffering, and this word suffering here comes from a unique principle. All suffering in your life comes when you or someone else is trying to compare themselves to a concept, an ideal, that is not realistic. When someone has an expectation for someone else in their marriage, that causes suffering. When I have an expectation for myself that I should be better or I should be doing that, that's going to cause inner suffering. Suffering happens when there's an ideal that is impossible to reach or it is possible to reach, but we're just not there yet. That's what causes suffering. And when we are suffering either by somebody else's, Um, uh, behavior or our own behavior at that moment we have to realize that we have a present holy spirit presence that fills all the concepts and all the law and all the uh, ideals that we have of the way things should be the presence of christ and this is what our prayer is for this church and this is what our prayer is for every family here is that that we would live in the presentness of the Holy Spirit in our life. That we would live in the present um, finished work of Jesus Christ. That we would live in the presence of our inheritance. That we have an inheritance in heaven. And God saw you and I like He found a treasure in the field. He buys the whole field and He goes, I'm going to put a ring on that finger. You ever hear someone say that? A guy's dating a girl. Family member says to the guy, "You got to get a thing. You got to get a thing. You got to get a ring on that finger before someone else takes it." Somebody said that to you, right? So that is the way it was with God. God saw us. He was. He had so loved us that He sent His Son to this world to be an engagement ring for you and I, so that we would be His property. So that until that day, until salvation is revealed, at that time. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Word of God, and the presence of God's people. The presence of God's people, which is a testimony of the beautiful salvation that we have. Are you having a rough week? Is this have been a tough week for you? Has it been a challenging week? Remember this, that you are engaged to Jesus Christ, that you have this, you have this engagement ring on you. And you have this down payment, which is the Holy Spirit. You belong to Him. Amen. And this is when real change we can direct this is where we can come to that point where real change can become a reality in our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.